Hello and welcome to the Governance Matters podcast from Governance Intelligence, formerly known as Corporate Secretary. In this show, we examine the work of governance professionals and the latest developments they face. I'm your host, Editor-at-Large Ben Maiden. Later in the episode, I speak with Marion Lewis, CEO of Govendo, about how AI is already helping corporate secretaries manage their boards. She explains actions they should take when looking to bring in an AI tool, um, how to make sure boards use AI safely, and what boards should be putting on their AI agendas for 2024. But first, I spoke earlier this week with Megan Gordon, partner at Clifford Chance, about the SEC's new cybersecurity rules. These went into effect at the end of 2023, and are the cause of much work and head-scratching in the governance community, particularly as they prepare their 10Ks for this year. As with many new disclosure rules, it can take a while for a consensus to emerge on how to comply with the SEC's wishes. The difficulties and worries involved are more pointed than usual, given that in this case, uh, they involve the complex nature of cybersecurity and the threats involved. Megan shares some important advice on how companies can make determinations of materiality when deciding whether to report a cyber attack, what they should be looking for to include in their 10Ks as those start to roll out, and what boards need to know about all of this. Uh, she began by giving us a helpful reminder of what the rules say. Megan Gordon, thank you so much for joining us today. Just as I, I think everyone's uh, pretty familiar with these rules, or at least have heard of them, but could you just start us off by giving us a, a very brief overview of what the new cybersecurity rules are, are asking for? Absolutely. So um, coming in this year, uh, there's three new disclosures that companies need to make. The first is a, a material cyber incident disclosure. This goes on a form 8K. And um, this is any time that a company has what's quote unquote, a material cybersecurity incident, they need to report that publicly within four days of discovering that it is material. That does not mean four days within discovery of the incident, but four days within making the materiality determination. So that's kind of the more urgent one, because anytime companies have a cybersecurity incident, they have to determine whether or not it needs to be disclosed. And then uh, very pertinent for this particular time period, uh, are two new disclosures that go on their on companies' 10Ks. The first is a disclosure regarding processes for assessing, identifying, and managing material risks regarding cybersecurity th- threats. And the second is with respect to their governance processes. So this includes board of director oversight, um, how they're managing third parties and other issues for the board of directors and how they're doing their oversight of the companies. So two new disclosures for the 10K and one new disclosure for an 8K if they have a material cybersecurity incident. Fantastic. Well, I, I know, as, as you as you well know, um, sort of best practices are still emerging in this area. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks are working on these, particularly obviously on the 10Ks, as you say. But uh, just the discussion really today is, is kind of like framed a little bit as like, as we start off the year, what, what's the, what's, what do we know so far, I guess, um, to, to some extent. And obviously, um, in terms of the incident reporting, materiality is the key element there. What guidance is there for companies in from the SEC, either in the rule itself or, or outside of that. And do you have any sort of thoughts about how about going and making that determination, the materiality determination at this point? So the first thing is that there is absolutely no bright line rule with respect to materiality. The, Of course, the SEC specifically decided um, to say materiality is a long-defined concept to, to rely on endless guidance that's available on materiality. That doesn't really help everybody too much. 
you know, the SEC said that it should be aligned with quote unquote traditional materiality, like I said, and that they should look at quantitative and qualitative risks, reputational relationship harms, litigation, investigation, regulatory action risks, and effects on operations, finances, brand perception, and customer relationships. So what does this mean in practice? What this means in practice is that companies are, I think, in some cases over-reporting and in other cases under-reporting. We haven't had too many 8Ks come out yet, but some of them have actually said that this wasn't a material incident. Um, so, uh, But they decided to report anyway because they don't know if something else might happen. But we know that a lot of companies have had cybersecurity incidents since the rule came into place and haven't reported. So what we are expecting or what a lot of people are thinking is going to happen is that this year there's going to be probably a lot of reporting going on. And at the end of the day, the SEC hopefully is going to take a look at every about everything that comes in. And we're hoping that we get some more guidance from them after a period of time once they get kind of this first round of reporting. And when that might come is not known, but that is what we are hoping is going to happen on the back end. Better to over-report than under-report? I mean, if in doubt, decide it's material rather than, obviously, you then risk exposure to investors, but obviously investors understand that this this kind of thing happens. Um, so if it wasn't a particularly major incident, but you just report anyway, is that what you were on that side? Or is that me being very unattorney-ish? Well, I think that that is kind of the traditional view of things. Um, if you were to look at some other things, oftentimes companies tend to overreport. Um, I don't think that all companies are doing that. And I say that because, like I said, there, there's just been very few 8Ks coming. So I do think it's important to make a determination because once you once you put out a first of all it's it's a process to put an out an out an AK and you don't want to start reporting every little incident that comes through companies the truth is that companies have cybersecurity incidents all the time most of them are incredibly small um and they don't need to be reported so i think it is important to make some sort of a determination that being said i think companies are in a bit of a a difficult position because the way that cybersecurity incidents occur is that Often it's just not one company that's targeted. Often it might be multiple companies that it's targeted at 100. So it is possible that even if you decide that it's not material, somebody else who has a similar incident decides it is material and then files. So if you have a similar fact pattern, there might be a question that's asked to you. Well, you had the same incident. They reported and you didn't. Why didn't you? So I think that companies are in, you know, I think this is a, a learning period because I think that's going to be a challenge going forward. And in terms of the policies and processes behind that and making that decision, do we have any sort of best practice at this stage? Or is that just sort of unknowable in the sense that it's kind of unknowable what materiality is? And and if so, what should be the role, if any, for in-house legal and governance folks? Sure. So I think when it comes to best practices for cyber, I think there's a lot of things that can be looked at. So there's there's NIST principles. If you're from a financial institution, there's uh, DFS regulations. So there is some cyber. Uh, there are some cyber governance rules that have and, and industry rules that have grown up. However, when it comes to the SEC, uh, they have specifically provided a lot of latitude for companies to decide what their processes should look like. And they and they did this specifically. If you look at the rule, they said, we really don't want to dictate this. Um, so, you know, what should everybody's processes be right now? I'd say that they should be based on what the risk is of the company. That's not really saying so much. But to give a little bit more, you know, color on that, um, I think some of the best practices coming up are to really take a, a relook at the cyber, how the cyber reporting happens within an organization 
it really, sometimes we see siloed processes within companies. So different business lines have different reporting mechanisms. Some things are escalated, some things are not. How those things happen are, don't always come together under one umbrella. So really making sure that it's looked at as an enterprise-wide risk and how the cyber impacts the company as a whole. And also what the level, the thresholds are for reporting up. So is this the same, if you're talking about a global company in particular, is this the same across jurisdictions? Um, have things only been reported up if, for instance, they needed to be reported to government authorities in a specific jurisdiction that may not work for the SCC role? So really see how the reporting works internally. And I should note that kind of within this, I think we are seeing the beginning of companies going and taking a relook at things and doing a full cybersecurity risk assessment to determine if everything is fit for purpose. And, and broadly speaking, should that reporting up go to the GC? Should it go to like sort of head of cybersecurity at the company, um, chief information officer or whoever, that, or, or to both? So I, I think the answer is, is yes. It, it there, Of course, having a governance mechanism is, is part of and reporting on what your governance mechanism is, is part of uh, the new rules. So determining how this... How, who receives this information is important and definitely legal should be involved in this because ultimately there does have to be a materiality determination made and um, in all likelihood the legal will be involved in terms of advising the board on what their responsibilities are in terms of oversight of the program. So it's important to have legal involved. That being said, as I said, there's a lot of cybersecurity incidents that come up. So, you know, for legal to be involved every time that you have a, a company with a million employees in it and somebody loses their um, their iPhone probably doesn't make sense. But, you know, you do want to have a certain threshold where legal does get involved, um, especially when it's something that can, you know, I, it should be well below the materiality threshold usually because legal is going to want to try to help make that determination. Right. And similar to that, once you then make a, an incident report, uh, presumably there's a discussion there about how much to disclose, um, whether to go into the, the nitty gritty. Um, does the SEC seem like it wants to really, uh, really to spill your guts on exactly what happened or just to let it know that something is, has, has happened and that you're dealing with it? Yeah, so the, the SEC has said that the disclosure should include the material aspect of the nature, scope and timing of the incident and the material impact on the company, including its financial condition and results of operation. So, you know, that's pretty vague when it comes to it. But there's one thing that the SEC has said in particular, and companies are following, which is that you don't need to give the specifics of the attack or in any way expose your company to additional cybersecurity threats. So you don't want to give too much information to say that this is where we're vulnerable or this is, you know, how to attack us. Yes, this is uh, where the back door is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, as I said, there's been a small number of disclosures so far. Um, most of these disclosures have been pretty high level. Um, they've said, you know, what happened generally on a very high level, what had happened. Sometimes they said if they think it's ongoing. Sometimes they said if they think it's finished. Um, but it's been very high level and short. So I think that we can continue to expect companies to be pretty general when it comes to these disclosures. And I think if the SEC wants additional information, they'll, they'll start to let people know, hopefully through additional guidance. But it just doesn't make a ton of sense to give too much information to you know help threat actors. And, and then just switching to the, the 10K um, and the two, as you, as you mentioned, the, the disclosures that's required in that. I mean, again, the question that I understand from governance people that I've been speaking to is that there's um, they're sort of grappling with 
what's enough, what's too much to disclose um, in the 10K. You don't want to go overboard and, and, and you know, promise something that isn't promisable. You don't want cyber washing, I guess, in what you might call it. And again, it's just, a, as, as you say, this is all just emerging. Do we have any insights from early filers? But, I mean, what would, your, what would your advice to be to companies about what to make sure the Make sure to include and not to go too much beyond that and open yourself up to other liabilities. So we have seen a a few things coming out from some of the early filers. First, we have seen the early filers state whether they have a cyber leader responsible for overall cybersecurity or a group of leaders that are responsible for it. They've also described the board's role in oversight, you know, specifically how often they hear reports, whether that be periodically, quarterly. Usually there's not, it doesn't say for every incident, for instance, but you know how often they're receiving information, uh, their use of third parties. But generally what we've seen is different levels of description within that. So most companies have kept this at a pretty high level to start with. And um, you know, as more come out, we'll, we'll be able to kind of break that down by industry and also um, do some comparisons. But right now we're seeing uh, companies keeping this at a pretty high level also because once again, they don't want to provide so much information that it becomes um, a liability to them and they can face additional threats because they've disclosed too much. Okay. So at this stage, um, obviously this is a, a management-related process, or, um, but what should boards, what should you be teaching your boards? What should, you know, if you're corporate secretary, what should you, what information do boards need to have at this stage, um, both about their the rules themselves and, and their oversight role, I should say, as, uh, as the board? So we've seen boards at a, at a minimum being provided a, a, an overview of what the new role is. So this is typically being included in the board packets going into the meetings. Some companies have had either um, external or internal professionals provide a very brief overview of what the role is and what their responsibilities are. And, you know, we think that that's definitely appropriate. And also the board should be told exactly what what is being received by them. In other words, what infer- what is being escalated to them and what is not being escalated to them and um, what their responsibilities are and what the disclosure will be. So I think providing the board an overview of the role and their responsibilities is really important. There was a proposal in the proposed rule, there was a statement that they wanted to talk about the background of the boards and whether they had cyber, uh, any background in cyber and, and any requirements regarding that. And they decided not to do that. So the boards may or may not have um, background in cybersecurity. However, you know, it's important to, to give them this overview. Right. Yes, that was a bit of a let off the uh, the border expertise um, element of that. Um, well, as, as you've mentioned to me, this is a, a topic that's generating a lot of questions from companies. There's just any other sort of sort of final either practical advice or, or, or bits you'd, you'd, you'd like care to share with uh, our corporate listeners at this stage? Yeah, I think companies should really take a look at other companies to compare themselves to see if they're in line. Um I also think that this kind of puts a new burden on companies in some way, although it's not a specific burden but stated yet, but to look at some of the 8Ks that are coming out um, because there can be some threat actors, like I said, that they may not have even identified yet that maybe another company has that they should take a look at. Um, so I think as as this goes forward, really digging into other companies in their industry, what they're saying um, and you know, seeing if, if, if they are broadly in line with what's being disclosed or if they really need to bulk up some of their cybersecurity um, apparatus is important. And also, like I said, 
this is this is kind of a wonderful thing in some ways, although it's it's an additional burden. But this is an opportunity for companies to now identify earlier on potentially when there are some of these cybersecurity incidents that are going to affect multiple companies, and hopefully, you know, learn from each other such that they can then you know stop some of the threats that may be in their system that they wouldn't have otherwise known about. So, um, you know, I think that that's a positive note, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of learning going on this year. Um, and I think as as time goes on, this will become, I think, a lot easier for companies. But right now, it's really just a learning process to see, you know, how to land the plane in the middle of the runway and not to be too far ahead of everybody and not to be too far behind. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for sharing your advice and good luck to you and everybody else who's working through that this year. Um, Hopefully, like you say, in future years, it'll be a bit more straightforward. Thank you for the opportunity. Governance Intelligence invites you to download our latest governance playbook, available now. How to make your company's proxy statement a success. Sponsored by Nasdaq Governance Solutions, provides expert insights from governance professionals at companies with leading-edge proxy statements. It presents actionable steps and best practices for corporate secretaries seeking to produce successful proxy statements that communicate effectively with investors and underline their company's corporate governance achievements. Download this special report to learn more about issues including why the proxy statement is important and how it is used, deciding what content to include, including additional disclosures in 2024, determining the best way to present information in non-textual ways, running an effective preparation process and assessing whether your proxy statement has been a success. Go to the research section at www.governance-intelligence.com for your free download, available now. Welcome back, and thanks once again to Megan Gordon of Clifford Chance. We now turn to my conversation with Marion Lewis, CEO of Govenda, about how AI is and could be in the future of use in board management. I started by asking her about some of the tasks it can already help with. Hi, so Marion, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, just to start off with, could you give us uh, an overview of some of the ways AI is already helping corporate secretaries manage their board? Um, and how widespread is its use at, at this stage? Obviously, people have a lot of questions, but uh, is this an area where there's already been some take up? Yeah, so actually, there are um, several ways, I think, um, in in the general counsel's office, for sure, outside of the board, um, they're using it a lot for, for contract review. That's a fairly common use, and uh, people don't always think of that as AI, but it is uh, for contract review and comparison, so that the, um, they're getting used to using that there. Within the board itself, um, we're starting to see more adoption um, around contract or document review, for example, document summaries, you know, enabling board members to take what can be fairly voluminous um, information and do summaries to help them with their review of board books, for example, or if they need to um, review previous documents for a strategic initiative, they're taking that sort of thing. Um, It's starting to make its um, way into minutes taking, surprisingly. So um, being able to um, 
use AI for the entire process. You know, for, first of all, creating transcripts, um, either from uh, video or audio, and then, then taking those transcripts, doing drafts of minutes, and then building in workflow um, for um, approval to actually create meetings or create minutes. And that can um, save an awful lot of um, time for um, in the corporate secretary's office and then also for the board members that are involved in reviewing the minutes. So we've seen that. Uh, and then we're gonna think that where the next big uh, thing is, is in search, taking um, like intelligent search and contextual search and then putting some AI behind that. So there can actually be example for uh, being able to set up knowledge centers within um, a board portal and allowing board members and, as well as the GC and other uh, governance professionals to um, easily uh, search for um, not just documents and keywords, but for concepts um, so that it helps them to better um, research and uh, strategize for the initiatives that they're working on. Oh, so it literally is like having your own search, your own personal search function within yes, the Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm sure I'm sure saving time on the minutes uh will is very welcome prospect for a number of <laughs> for a number of corporate secretaries, uh, uh from from what I gather. So if you are as a corporate secretary, you're looking to sort of uh, start using an AI tool um for managing the board for some of the things that you talked about. What should some of the things you should you be looking at? Uh, what should you be asking your vendor to make sure that they're up to scratch? You know, looking at what you might need it for, that kind of thing. How should you how should you start off? Well, I would start doing some research. Certainly, uh, you know, there's a limited number of vendors in the board portal space, so I would talk to whoever your vendor is, or if you're. Um, starting to implement a portal in, in your organization and ask them what uh, are they using AI within their platform um, and if they are to explain to you exactly how they are using it and um, how it can benefit you and if they're not looking at that yet then you could I would ask about their roadmap which how do they see in the future is this on the roadmap for them and how important do they think it is? And um, what what is the rollout that they're foreseeing for what they're doing? And obviously, safety is an issue that, that we all um, consider about using AI. How can, you know, as a corporate secretary, again, how can you make sure that your board is using AI safely? And what are some of the other sort of parts of security and data issues that you should take into account when using AI when as part of board management? Right. So... Actually, I think as far as the board using AI, I don't think that they should have many decisions to make about that. You know, whatever tool that you buy or whatever tools that you are providing to them, you should have vetted ahead of time to make sure that they don't need to worry about that. You know, it really should be a tool like any other that they use where they log in, they use it and the security and the privacy are baked into it. And again, that goes back to vetting whatever that you're using. Um, you want to make sure that whatever vendor that you're using is using uh, not using open AI, uh, you know, to um, to power whatever they're doing. That all of your data stays within a secure environment. That nobody else has access to it. That they're not saving uh, prompts that your um, organization is making. So. It's, I think it's really vetting ahead of time what you're providing to your board members. And then beyond that, it's whatever you're doing um, with your regular cyber uh, security protocols with your board. I think it's the same, exactly the same process. Okay. Yeah. Because I was, I was, 
I remember um, many times here from corporate secretaries um, having butterflies about uh, board members using email and sending stuff in a you know in a non secure way when they'd Absolutely. rather keep it with when they'd rather keep it within the portal uh, for that kind of messaging. Exactly. So you so you're saying that if I understand you correctly, that boards they don't necessarily need to have specific training on using AI tools. I mean, I guess enough of us have figured out how to use them on our own. Um, but if they do, is there is there any particular um, sort of angle that you would look at in terms of their training? Well, I think it's important to get your board educated about AI because it's only going to keep growing and um, mm. that there will be lots of initiatives that your organization is going to take up. And some of them will come before your board, some of them will not, but your board should understand what the implications of AI are and um, be able to weigh in on those, just like they would any other uh, serious cybersecurity issue. So that could be um, having a, an expert on your board, um, but more likely, I think it would be providing the board with the right information. You know, do, do you have um, uh, a committee within your organization that's responsible, responsible for an AI framework? Do you have a single executive? Um, is it cross uh, department? Is it a single department? You know, there's decisions that should be made. Um, but whatever you're doing within your organization, educating your board about what those issues are, I think is really important. And if you do that, then they can test all of those concepts if you're using it within the boardroom, you know, with whatever tools that they're making. It's a good way to, you know, put that education into practice. Well, I mean, speaking of which, I mean, there's, um, you know, board members like I imagine a lot of people are slightly have concerns about using AI. Is have you sort of come across any concerns or reluctance among directors about AI being part of their board management, their board processes? Um, and if so, um, I guess how would you try and sort of assuage those? I mean, as you say, obviously part of getting getting those tools ready or bringing those tools on board is is to make sure that they are they are safe to use. But um, um, I don't know what, what's your what's do you have any sense of what board members' uh, views are on this so far? So far, um, we have seen some concerns on the organization side, as the, as there should be, about safety and privacy and security. Um, as far as the board members are concerned, um, we have certainly those, they have concerns that they want to address, but they love the convenience of it. It makes them much easier to do their, their jobs. For example, document summaries. You know, someone's getting a 700 page board book, um, and some of them are even larger than that. And somebody's able to summarize some of those documents for them so they know where they need to dig in and where they don't need to dig in. That's really helpful for them, and they really like that. Mm -hmm. And just you touched on some of the ways you think uh, AA might be used in board management in the future. Just looking slightly further out, have you any any thoughts on where else it could take take the board management, or is as you say, I think the, the managing documents is, must be a key part of it. It is, and I'm, I'm really excited about the search capabilities, the um, intelligence search, because that takes it far beyond just um, using a keyword to look for documents or, you know, this is really becomes conceptual so that, um, you know, if to be able to, to ask your AI, and, and it'll be embedded, it should be very seamless to whoever, whoever's using it, but... Um, about, I want to see every document where we discussed DEI in the last 48 months, you know, and then have to those documents mm -hmm. and the particular portions of those documents where it's relevant. 
this, so that's that's a start. But then for um, I think we'll get to the point where AI actually analyzes those and is smart enough to say these are concerns that you probably may not have looked at yet, or um, this is a pattern that we are seeing mm -hmm. and what we're reviewing in the documents. I think that's where we're going, and so it's much more of a strategic tool than just a functional mm -hmm. tool. And also, yeah, perhaps part of risk management, um, as you say, raises exactly. concerns. Yeah. Well, just just lastly, I mean, uh, for boards looking ahead at 2024, um, uh, what would you recommend that they sort of um, consider or, or look at in terms of uh, putting into their agenda about their use of AI and their company's use of AI? Right. Well, so I think boards should be asking, first of all, what is the, the organizations that they have uh, a, a duty to? Um, how are they approaching AI? You know, what is the framework for that they are using to make decisions about AI? And, um, you know, we talked about this earlier a bit about use cases, you know, for for some use cases, it's going to be really easy and there's no, not a high risk, but certainly there are some situations where it's a very high risk infer, uh, situation to be using AI. So how, what is the framework for evaluating that risk? And again, we've seen some organizations that are using a single executive who's in charge of all things AI and review of all things AI and other organizations that are putting together cross-functional executives um, review these things as a committee. So First of all, should it be a single executive? Should it be a committee? How do they report to the board? And what does that framework look like? You know, so um, what does AI look like in our industry? And even if we're afraid of it, if we don't do it, can we stay competitive? You know, and if we needed to remain competitive, what does that mean? And what kind of time frame are we looking at? And we, we've seen that already where some people feel like they're being left behind if they just don't start to implement it. Then, um, Obviously, the ethical considerations, privacy, bias, all those things that, that are inherent or can be inherent in AI, and how if those things, how are we mitigating those risks? And what's the committee or this executive doing as part of the framework to make sure that they're mitigating that risk? And then what are the procedures for once it is implemented for reviewing, uh, monitoring, and then making changes, because that's going to have to be part of the process. They thinks, you know, this is a fast-moving technology, and we're going to have to have a fast-moving process to, to really keep track of it. Well, Mary Nurse, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and uh, have, a, have a great 2024. Hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Governance Matters podcast, brought to you by Governance Intelligence. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to like, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever else you get your podcasts. Many thanks to Noemi DiStefano at The Controls. And until next time, thanks for listening.